Well, good morning, Celebration Church, all of our campuses, wherever you are at, Green Bay, Appleton, Stevens Point, if we can all stand up wherever you are, let's all join together, let's say this, this is who we are, this is what we believe here at Celebration Church, let's all say this together, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to be with everyone today. My name is Bob, one of the pastors at the church. Uh, This morning we've got a great message from Pastor Mark. So let's all put our hands together as we welcome him today. Good morning, Celebration Church. We are continuing our series now uh, after taking off uh, quite a hiatus <laughs> so far this year, but picking up now on our significant events of the Old Testament. Last time we left off, we were reading about Moses and how God had called Moses to go uh, after all his mistakes and failures, and later in life, he's like 80 years old now, now to go back to Egypt and to, uh, get, uh, to confront Pharaoh to let the people go. So now he doesn't want to go. He fights God. He gets real intense, if you'll remember. Finally, he yields. He and his uh, brother Aaron, who's a, a few years older than him, go back to Egypt. And they met with the people and told them that God had sent them and everything. So everybody's, wow, okay, wow, here we go. So Moses goes now. Now, this is, these are some of the most major events in the Old Testament, particularly from a Jewish point of view. I mean, Moses is a big deal here. Moses is the one who comes, and he's the one who gets the Ten Commandments, gives them the law of Moses. This is what rules and guides the Israelites. Even until this day, if you're Jewish, you're still living by uh, the law of Moses. It's, it's very uh, detailed, uh, very clear uh, about what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, blah, 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 blah. So anyway... Um, so now this major event, they are, if you remember, Joseph took them in, went into Egypt. He became a big rock star in Egypt. He's the one who uh, got the family firmly established there. They are multiplying like crazy. Uh, he's like the second most powerful guy in the world. Then eventually a new pharaoh comes after Egypt, uh, after Joseph had died. A new pharaoh comes. He doesn't care who these people are. He enslaves them all and makes them work as slaves for 400 years now, this is 400 years later, and now God says, okay, time's up, time to let these people go. So, he goes to Pharaoh, and we'll pick it up in Exodus, the seventh chapter, verse eight. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, because he's, they're going to go confront Pharaoh, that God has sent them. Really? Prove it. So, he says, when, God, when, Mer- when Pharaoh says, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. 
Well, then Pharaoh summons his wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. You say, well, how's that possible? I don't know, man. We're talking some serious dark arts that they are able to do. And, uh, and so Moses, or you know, Aaron's staff turns into a snake. The, the uh, magician said, ah, we can do that same thing. So now there's a bunch of snakes on the ground. All right. But then Aaron's staff, his snake, goes and swallows up the other ones. <laughs> that was pretty cool. But Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh was one seriously stubborn guy. Uh, so then we begin a series of plagues. These are the major plagues that eventually forced the hand of Egypt to let the Israelites go. So the first one, the Lord says to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take your hand, in your hand your staff that was changed into a snake. And then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you've not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, the river will stink, and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. So the Lord says to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch your hand over the, all, over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all reservoirs, and they will be turned to blood. Often when we are hearing this account, we talk about the Nile being turned into blood. All the waters everywhere, ponds, rivers, streams, everything, all turn into blood. So uh, uh, verse 20, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. He raised the staff in the presence of the Pharaoh and his Officials struck the water of the Nile. The water was turned into blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad. The Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But these magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh thought, ah, there's nothing special about this God. Now you would think, just because they could duplicate to some level, that this is a pretty powerful God who could make the entire Nile and all the waters, boom, like that, turn into blood. But he still blew them off. And didn't yield. In verse 24, it says, and all the, all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water. <laughs> they had to dig for fresh water because they couldn't drink uh, out of the uh, water from the river. And it lasts, I don't know, a week or whatever. The uh, so he refuses to yield. So then, chapter 8, verse 1, then the Lord says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to go, I will set a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom, onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. So, I mean, he says, there's going to be frogs everywhere. So by this time, the waters have cleared out. They're back to normal. Pharaoh says, no deal. He says, all right, let him go. He says, no. Boom. Sends this plague of frogs. There are frogs everywhere. And uh, Pharaoh is a... Uh, you know, finally yields, and then as soon as the plague's gone, then he changes his mind. So, uh, uh, you'll see here in uh, verse 8, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord, take away the frogs for me and my people, and I'll let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Which, okay, so they do. <clears throat> After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh, and the Lord did what Moses asked, and the frog, frogs died in the houses 
in the courtyards, in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked. The land reeked of them. Uh, and then Pharaoh saw that there was relief, and he hardened his heart and wouldn't listen again. So what he would do is he's, yeah, yeah, please stop, stop, okay. And then they would stop, and then he'd say, no, I'm not going to let you let them go. Then the Lord says to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the ground throughout the land of, the, of Egypt, and the dust will become gnats. Well, they did this, and then Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground. Gnats came on all the people and the animals, all the dust throughout the land of the, Egypt became gnats. Uh, but now, this time, when the magicians tried to produce the gnats by their secret gnats, they couldn't do it. And since the gnats were on all the people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, look, this is the finger of God. All right, we, we've been able to keep up so far. They've been able to duplicate everything. They can't pull off the gnat thing. So, uh, but Pharaoh's heart was hard and he wouldn't listen. Uh, then we have, uh, in verse 21, he says, if you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, into their houses. And the houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. Uh, but on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people are. So all the Israelites lived in Goshen. He says, there no swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people, and this sign will occur tomorrow. And by the way, this distinction uh, is a reflection of the heart of God. God always wanted a distinction between his people and the people that were not his, those who would follow him and didn't. Uh, there were all kinds of things that the Jewish people were commanded to do for nothing, beginning with circumcision, that was the biggest thing, really distinguished them between everybody else. They wanted to be different. God has always wanted people to be different. And even to this day, as Christians, we are still supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different than everyone else. We're supposed to act different. We're supposed to behave, act and behave differently, think differently. Um, we're not supposed to be like everybody else. Now, that doesn't mean we're supposed to not have anything to do with anybody else. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to have friends, even that are non-Christian friends, and try and win them to Christ. But at the end of the day, people should know who you are. They should know what you believe. They should know at least that you're a person of faith, that you're a Christian. Uh, because we're supposed to, at some point, stand out from everyone else. Now, people have done this to varying degrees throughout the uh, centuries Christians have done and interpreted this in different ways. Um, even to this day, you've got like Amish people who you talk about being different than everybody else. Yeah, they look really different, all right. Uh, but, that, you know, that's the way they interpret it. They refuse to have anything to do with electricity and everything else. Well, we don't do that. Most Christians don't. I think that's taken it a bit far. But the idea is sound, actually, that there should be a difference between them. The, pro the problem is that is such a difference. I think they have a real hard time <laughs> connecting and affecting uh, others outside their community. You know, they, they do their thing. That's it. Uh, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be our own community, but constantly reaching out and touching and affecting people. So we see this here. Right here, God says, all right, I want you to see there's going to be a difference between those who are my people and those who are not. So he sends this plague of... Uh, flies, and there's flies there. You can imagine a plague of flies. Eh, that was horrible. Uh, and then, uh, but not in where the, where the Jews are. Well, eventually, of course, he's still not going to change. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the, 
God of the Hebrew says, let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, camels, on your cattle, sheep, and goats. The point here, he's hitting them in the wallet, okay? This is, this is money. You know, they didn't have money like we have money today. Uh, one of the greatest currencies was just flat out in livestock. And he says, if you don't yield... A plague's going to come, and a bunch of them are going to die, and sure enough, they did. Does he change? Well, he says, oh, please, please, please take that away. And then, of course, as soon as he does, he says, no, you can't go. So then we get to the next plague. Now, you would think the people are getting really tired of this, right? I mean, they are freaking out. It's one thing to have a major snowstorm in spring in Wisconsin, 20 inches of snow. I mean, that's upsetting. We're still reeling from that. But can you imagine major plagues every other week? They got to figure, what is going on? The people are freaking out. It's costing them money. Now we're really getting hit. Uh, they are really having a difficult time. But Pharaoh is one stubborn human being, and he won't let them go. Well, then the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. And it will, will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace, throws it in the air, okay? And then all these boils, festering boils breaks. Okay, now it's hitting people. This is uncomfortable. This is miserable. And the magicians, by this point, they can't keep up anymore. Verse 11 says the magicians couldn't even stand before Moses because the boils were on them. I mean, there's boils everywhere, and including Pharaoh himself. Oh, please, please, you know, give us a break, give us a break. So they'd pray, and the Lord would pull back the plague again. And as soon as everything was okay, you know, there's, there's really a problem with people. In their stubbornness before. Now, this is some dramatic stuff, but even small stuff in people's lives. You know, they, they come to God when there's a tragedy, when there's a problem. And quite frankly, a lot of people actually come to real faith during that time. It is oftentimes when people reach a real hard crisis in their lives. Maybe that's why you're even uh, here at Celebration Church today. You've had some real crisis, real trouble in your life. Uh, and, and you're turning to faith and you're coming to God, that's all great. And, and that's fine. You say, well, did God do that to me? Oh, I don't know that God did that to you. It's hard to tell. There's all kinds of reasons why things happen. But the good news is that in midst of trouble, you're coming to the right place because there's a God in heaven who loves you and cares about you. And, and don't run from God. Let me just throw this out real quick. A lot of times when people start making mistakes and they mess up, and Christians, yes, even devout Christians, can mess up in rather dramatic fashion and do things they know they shouldn't do or say something they shouldn't have said. And a lot of times when people fail, they do what Adam did, which he went and hid. A lot of times people quit coming to church because they're struggling and they're, they're made, they've made big mistakes, and, and, uh, but that's the wrong thing to do. Don't run away from God. When you're messing up, when you're struggling, uh, and it can be in your marriage, it can be in your personal life, it can be uh, just whatever ways. If you're struggling, 
Don't run away from God, okay? You need to run towards him. There's safety in his arms. But I, I made a big mistake. Yeah, he can handle it, okay? He's seen a lot worse than your craziness. Don't run from God. Well, it isn't real bad. I got arrested for doing So what? Don't run away from God. God's not up there freaking out. Oh, they did something terrible. He knows who we are. He knows our weaknesses. The Bible says if we sin, we need to confess our sin. And he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. He's not going to shove you away because you did something, acted in a way, whatever you think it is. Don't pull an atom. Don't go running away from God when you start to, if you fail and struggle. You need to run to him. Stay involved in the church. Stay involved in fellowship. Don't, and I'm telling you, this happens a lot. Also, you see people disappearing. You say, wow, where's Fred? We haven't seen Fred in a long time. Well, Fred's struggling in something, and he thinks the only answer to that is to stay away from church. That's the worst thing you can do. So don't, don't go running away from God. So, but anyway, other people will encounter tough times in their lives, and they will temporarily come to God. And as soon as the trouble disappears, then they turn their back on him. Here's a classic example. <clears throat> 9-11 in America, okay? Major, major horrific event. Do you know that the weeks immediately after 9-11, churches were filled to the brim. People were coming, packing the places out, uh, looking for answers. We just had a horrible thing happen. Oh, we need help. God help us. Well, about three weeks later, four weeks later, it was all back to normal. All these people who suddenly, because of tragedy, was turning to God, as soon as things seemed to stabilize and didn't seem the heat was really on that bad, boom, they, they pull a pharaoh. You know, they, they get comfortable uh, and they don't need God anymore. Uh, big mistake, but so many people do that. You know, their version of faith is very, very temporary. Pharaoh had several versions of faith where he would ask Moses to pray for him. Oh, Moses, pray, pray for us. Please pray for us that this will stop. And as soon as it stopped, everything was good. He didn't care anymore. And he went back on his word. All right, so, so much for the boils. That had to be awful. So that passes. Then verse 23, when Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky... The Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Nobody had seen a storm like this. And of course, and the hail's doing all kinds of damage. Now, uh, <clears throat> they did give them an advance warning. Hey, you better bring in your... Uh, <laughs> Your livestock and things, because it's going to really hail. So by this time, yeah, people are listening. And they're pulling everything because of this hail. If anybody ignored it, you know, I'm sure their stuff all got destroyed. So at least there was a, a heads up on this one. And again, the same thing. Um, so what happens in verse 8, Moses and Aaron are brought back to the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, okay, 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 go Worship the Lord, your God. Okay, because that's what he's been asking all this time. And he says, but, but, but tell me, who's going? I, I want to know who's going. And Moses and Aaron says, well, we're all going. <laughs> and uh, he says, no, 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 you, you can't do that. Uh, just the men can go. 
Uh, we got to leave everybody else there because that way they'll want to come back for their wives. And, and, and again, the main reason he doesn't want to let them go, it's money. Money is the root of all evil, right? The love of money, I should say, is the root of all evil. This is all very, very costly to them. The, you've got arguably a million people, a million slaves of free labor. They don't have to pay these people anything. They get a lot of benefit. Can you imagine? Those of you who have businesses, if you had employees who worked for nothing, boy, I'll tell you what, I know my business would be a lot better. <laughs> I know the church would have a lot more money if everybody would just work for free, okay? Slavery is extremely beneficial for those who had slaves. So they're making out like a banner from these people. They don't want to let him go. So he's now, Farrakhan's the point, now he's negotiating. Here's a phase, right? Okay, God, I will, but. And I'll serve the Lord, but, but I don't want to do this. And, and, and there's people like that. They'll come to faith. If God's getting your attention in, in whatever way right now, don't try to negotiate with him. You know, some people say, well, you know, I, yeah, I'll become a Christian, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to give up getting drunk on, on Friday nights. So I really like my buddies are going to get hammered. No, you, you can't play those games. Or I... I'll become a Christian, but I'm not going to quit messing around with, you know, my neighbor's wife or whatever. You, you can't play these games, but people are doing this. They've done, they do it to this day. And Pharaoh's doing this now. He says, well, the guys can go, but the girls can't. And, and verse 13, so Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day, all that night. And by morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. Now, they still at times around the world will have plagues of locusts. If you've ever seen video of it it's, it's, or film, it's, it's stunning. The cloud just gets black with the locusts. But this is the worst that ever had, and the Bible says, and it'll never be that bad again. These people, they got hammered with the locusts. It was a big deal. Uh, so then the Lord says to Moses, now stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. This will be dark. You can feel it. This is creepy darkness. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. I mean, it's just creepy, icky. So then Pharaoh summons Moses and... Uh, he says, okay, 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 okay. So, go, worship the Lord, and even your women and children can go with you, but, but, but leave your flocks and herds, okay? Because that's major money. And the idea is, if you need to go worship, then go worship, but then you got to come back. Okay, you can't take off. I need you people. So, uh... You know, Moses says, no. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Well, Pharaoh has had it up to here. The most powerful man in the world. He gets whatever he wants all the time. And this, these couple of old geezers, Moses is 80. Aaron is 83. Uh, Moses doesn't even speak because he was so insecure, and he said, I, 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 you know, I don't talk very well. And remember, he's arguing with God in the beginning. That's why, don't send me. I, I'm, not, I'm not a very good public speaker. God finally said, okay, well, I'll send your goofy brother with you, and then he can speak. 
So you have to understand, when you see these movies and it shows Moses standing in front of Pharaoh, let my people go and throwing down and starting, Moses wasn't doing anything. Moses was just standing there. Aaron did all the talking. But they knew Moses was in charge. I mean, this is, how weird is this? Here's this guy, this old geezer. Nobody's saying anything. So his brother says stuff for him. And it had to seem really, really odd to them. Uh, so anyway, Moses has it up to here. He can't take it anymore. So Moses says to Pharaoh, or Pharaoh says to Moses, sorry, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not bef appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. And he leaves. And now the worst final plague is about to come. And God tells him that he's going to send this plague that is going to cover the land overnight. All the firstborn children will die. Firstborn men will die, which is like the greatest status symbol in the families. The firstborn son gets everything, right? So here comes this major plague. And then he warns the Israelites, listen, you need to prepare for this event. And you need to do something specific to protect yourself from this plague. Now, in other words, if they wouldn't do it, the same thing would happen to the Israelites at this point. So we read in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Why are they calling it Passover? Because they want this plague to pass over them. So you hear Jews talking about the Passover. They still celebrate this to this day. Every year they celebrate Passover. <clears throat> and they re remember this day when that night when this horrible plague came and it passed over all of them and they were protected. And he said, take a bunch of hyssop, you know, this, you know, kind of like a leaves and stuff like that. Dip it into the blood, into the basin of the lamb that you sacrificed and put some blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. Nobody leave. You leave your toast, all right? Now, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he, he was this, this angel of death or whatever that's coming, will see the blood on top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not per permit the destroyer to enter your house and to strike you down. And sure enough, this happens. This is the final straw. And uh, Pharaoh says, go, just go. And this is when this nation of servants and slaves becomes an independent nation overnight. And they leave Egypt and they go out into the wilderness. Now, now we're not done. There's some major stuff that's going to be coming, which we'll pick up again uh, next Sunday. But this event, these events are major events, but the biggest one is the Passover. It's a big deal. Do you know why? Do you know what our connection is to the Passover? Communion. We're about to take communion where uh, Jesus uh, took the bread and said, this is my body, the wine, this is my blood. You're supposed to do this. Remember me. Uh, when we do this, reflect on what Christ did for us, which we're all going to do together at our various campuses. Um, <clears throat> but remember, this was the Passover 
that Jesus and his disciples were doing. It was the, it was the Passover dinner. So what happens is this major event that happens here that Israelites, Israelites still do to this day. They have this Passover Seder thing that they do. Jesus and his disciples were doing it that night. And it was during that Passover dinner that Jesus took the bread and the wine and made the connection to himself now becoming the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. It was these lambs that were sacrificed back then during the Passover that protected each family. It is now through the blood of Christ that we now are protected, that we receive forgiveness of sins, that we experience newness of life, that we can be born again and be filled with the hope and the knowledge of God's love and patience and kindness and great blessings in our lives. It's when we come and we surrender our hearts to him and reach out to him by faith, accepting his sacrifice on that cross, on that cross now, he becomes the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is in essence, the final Passover lamb. Now as Christians, we don't wait one day a year to remember Passover from the Jewish times. We remember our Passover as it were, every time we gather together on Sunday, as we take communion and we reflect on this incredible, wonderful grace that has been given to us, that uh, this temporary lamb was able to protect them for a night. Our eternal lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus himself, who sacrificed himself, God, his own son, so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And now evil uh, passes over us. Not that we don't have troubles and trials. There's still stuff that we'll struggle with. But God protects us and he keeps us. And we are now connected uh, by faith, because of what Jesus Christ did. And all of that ties back to that Passover event that happened, what is this, 5,000 years ago, whatever the time frame here is, uh, a long time ago. Very powerful stuff. Extremely, extremely powerful stuff, okay? Now, next Sunday, we're going to pick it up. What happens when they leave uh, Egypt? And where do they go? And why are they there? Where are they headed? We'll pick all of that up uh, next week because these are some major significant events that occurred in the Old Testament. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your kindness to us, Lord. We reflect back and see how you fought for these people to make sure that they got set free. And that in that final plague that came, how you protected all of them uh, with the sacrifice of the lamb and the blood on their homes so that the death angel would pass over them, this plague would pass over them. And Lord, we're so grateful that now, in that same light, when Jesus was doing his final Passover, he pointed it all now to him. He becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, anybody who's, not, who's listening to me right now, who's never truly surrendered their heart to you, to ask you into their lives, that they might experience this wonderful, glorious grace of God, this wonderful sacrifice from this Lamb, of God, that they would open their hearts today and they would begin to experience your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.